December 19th, 2021. And as most of you, if not all of you, well know, with only six days to go, up in the North Pole, in Santa's workshop, coming to close a year-long producing of toys for all the good little boys and girls. The story of Santa is one that is known by people all around the world, looking differently, that stories are different, but the basic premise is the same. A jolly old man, benevolent old man, who has a list. On one side, naughty, the other column, nice. And on Christmas Eve, and he comes and he delivers toys miraculously to every single good boy and girl in the world. On the way, eating, and someone actually calculated this, an estimated 336 million cookies. For those of you who count calories, that makes up 150 billion calories in one night. It's estimated by the Center for Economics and Business Research that the presents he delivers are worth over $450 billion due to delivering to over 375 million kids. Outrageous statistics aside, when you think about it, the story of Santa is quite ingenious because it falls in line with everything the world and society is looking for and desires as they choose Santa instead of Jesus Christ. Santa gives hope. The story brings happiness. It provides purpose. It teaches morality. And it falls way far short of the true reason for the season and the greater gift that is authentically, truly, realistically offered to the world. It makes sense. It makes sense that the story of Santa is so cherished, is so relished by a world that otherwise should be celebrating Jesus Christ. Because Santa and the related facts of the story of Santa give us everything that we need for a happy life worldly pursuits, and feeling good about ourselves while trying to reject our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to bash Santa or make him look bad in your eyes, but that might be a natural result of today's message. This morning, I want to give you five details, five details that you're probably very familiar with in Santa's story, and they're true, realistic, biblical, and eternal gospel counterparts. Five details in Santa's story and their gospel counterparts. Santa's workshop, pretty amazing. I got to admit, even on the rare occasion that I see at a shopping mall or even on television someone trying to recreate what Santa's fictionary, fictional workshop looks like, it's pretty amazing. Wooden mallets and toys and elves and all of those types of things. And to think that they work 364 days a year tirelessly for the good 
children of the world is all the more amazing. Working for our happiness. Working to reward the so-called good kids, the moral kids. And we stand amazed and in awe of what He has done. But let me share with you another workshop, if you will. A workshop that did not have four walls, a workshop that was not hidden where no one could find it, a workshop that had no wooden mallets or little wheels for trains or pieces of wood, a workshop that began with nothing and ended with a word. The gospel story begins with creation. The gospel story begins with Genesis 1, where we are told that God created all things in six days, miraculously, powerfully. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 say, For by Him all things were created, all things, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him, and this is important, and for Him, to worship Him for His glory. Verse 17 of Colossians 1 goes on to say, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. No, they are not just wooden trinkets and toys that will fall apart by the end of January. Mountains, oceans, stars, and He's not done. There's coming a time in where He will recreate it all perfectly without sin. Ah, but there's the problem, isn't it? Sin. Over and over again, six times to be exact, we are told that God created and He, the holy and righteous God, declared it good. Whatever it was, the animal kingdom, the skies, the land, and the people. The people. Yes, my friends, Adam and Eve were real individuals and we all come from them. And you know the story. Not an apple, but a fruit. They ate It was forbidden. It was sin. What was the fruit beside the point? What came in because of the fruit? Specifically, beside the point, generally, that's the point, sin. They disobeyed God. They disobeyed God even when He was walking among them in and out. They disobeyed God in a time when they could communicate. They disobeyed God, and perhaps because they didn't know any better, the world was perfect. The world was good. They had it all. They had everything. And sin at that moment entered the world, not just the lives of Adam and Eve, but every descendant thereafter. And thereby, every human being, save for Jesus Christ Himself, is born with sin, in sin. We call it total depravity. It is total and utter sin. Those without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ cannot save themselves. They cannot not sin. They are enslaved to it, the Bible says. And as you understand the reality of creation and the creation of man and woman as good and the sin that entered in and the sin that still plagues you to this day, even those this morning who are believers, we understand the reality of the wickedness of mankind. And as we look 
and compare this to the workshop of Santa. As good as that story is, as happy as it makes kids all over the world this time of year, I want you, Christian, to remember how easy as we go through these different points, not Santa, but all the similar and related stories and pursuits of our culture that we use even as Christians to often justify our sin, pursue our sin, and to in just perhaps a moment, perhaps just briefly, perhaps in one small way, dethrone God in our hearts in a practical way so that we buy into the ways of the world as represented this year by the story of Santa. There's a second detail in Santa's story that you're all familiar with. It's the list. Naughty or nice. Bad or good. And if you're good, Santa will give you gifts. And that's what the kids want, right? Driven by a desire for a material possession. Material happiness based on human reward. Based on human effort. If you're good enough, and let's be honest, most kids who believe such things are good from maybe December 23rd on, they don't think about it on December 26th until next December. And if you're good enough, Santa will come. It's a great uh, parenting tool for many, isn't it? Dangle Santa, not naughty or nice list to make sure they're good and okay. Material things and human effort can reward mankind is what we're taught not just from childhood by the story of Santa, but by everyone and everything out there, including the religious. Outside of biblical Christianity, you've heard me say this before, every religion teaches you that you can be rewarded by God, a God, goddess, whatever it is that religion believes, if you are good enough, if you please him or her deep enough, well enough. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Paul writes and quotes the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. Let's stop there. The understanding of righteousness is not just, oh, there's a holy standard uh, that we are to attain to. Of course, nobody can does, do this. What they're talking about here, what Paul is talking about here, is the fact that there is a requirement by God and everyone falls short and it is something, and this is key, that is expected of all mankind, of every single person. And it is that righteousness by which every man will be judged. But here's the problem. There is none righteous, not even one. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Major problem. Well, if God and the gospel are the only way, there's no one who even understands it. And there's none who even seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. 
There's no fear of God before their eyes. We look at this passage as believers. You look at this passage as someone who is not a Christian, and you say, I've never done that. Poison of asps, constantly cursing and bitterness, shedding blood. I've never shed blood. I've shed my own on accident. I've never killed anybody. But what this is summarizing is sin and specifically selfishness. Doing what you want, doing what feels good, doing what feels right to you, doing what appeal appeases your anger, your emotions, your happiness. Surely you've been angry at someone before. You have hated. You have slandered. You have gossiped. This is all the same. And then we jump to verse 23, that famous verse, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So What? Because glory is the standard. God's glory, God's holiness, God's perfection is the standard. There's a problem with sin. We all have it. And to smooth that over, the world has created an even greater problem. And that is convincing the world that you can by your own efforts, without God, get on the nice list. You cannot. It is impossible. You can be a good person. You can be polite. You can do nice things. But the sin in our hearts keeps us from God in and of ourselves. And unlike with Santa, the reception of a gift is not based on the goodness of the receiver but on the giver. The gospel is about the work of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our third detail in Santa's story and its gospel counterpart. The pinnacle, perhaps for most, definitely for kids, delivering presents. Delivering presents. Delivering presents during Christmas, the night before Christmas, is the key component of the story of Santa Claus. This delivery is the pinnacle of everything else. His work in the workshop, his flying around the world in a sleigh pulled by magical flying reindeer, even his infamous jolly personality, all points to the gifts. When we read the Bible, the pinnacle of the story is the salvation of man, the pinnacle of purpose and existence, and all things is God's glory. But when we read the story as written out for us in the Bible, the pinnacle is the salvation of man, the way to God, the way to the Father through Jesus Christ. All else centers around it. God's character, as we learn of it, points to redemption. It's His character that makes it possible. His coming to earth provides that gift. The Old Testament points to the coming Messiah, the salvation of those who turn to Him. But there are no reindeer, there are no sleigh bells, but there are shepherds and wise men, angels announcing and praising, and the world changed, not for a day, but for eternity. While Santa provides a gift that children will outgrow or wear out, needing to be replaced the following year, there you see the genius of that story, right? Oh, you got your 
toy, but you've got to still be good to get one next year. It's a wonderful scam. <laughs> On the other hand, Christ provides the gift of salvation and eternal life. You see, the world we live in is never satisfied. More is wanted. More is needed. Bigger, better, newer. And it ref- it's reflected in the, the Christmas movies that you watch. No child today is going to watch one of those old Christmas movies and say, oh yeah, I'm really longing for that wooden truck that Santa's been making all year. And so they replace it. The elves make PlayStations. The elves make iPads or whatever it is, Legos and Hot Wheel cars. And year after year, the annual return of Santa makes sense. It is emblematic of a culture that wants something new to replace the old, and rightly so. We do this, perhaps not in a sinful way, but we buy into that. We want bigger. We want more. We want better. If you have a version of the iPhone that is more than two years old, just remember the last time you explained to someone, oh, yeah, I have the iPhone 7 or whatever it is now. You say it apologetically because you know that you're two versions short. You don't download the updates or new apps because you know it's going to brick your phone. You look at people who are lining up overnight at the Apple store to get the newest version. You kind of laugh, but then you kind of go, meh, I get it. Kind of wish it wasn't so cold. I think I would have jumped in there at some point as well. We do this. We're not satisfied if we don't focus on Christ because Santa and all its related stories that are interwoven into our culture and society say you need more. You need better. And when you're finally satisfied, when you're finally content, your sinful heart moves your head and say, oh, look at that guy. Remember that? That's something you always wanted. Oh, you're talking about rent and someone says mortgage. Ah, now you're discontent again. You're finally content being single and then you hear a baby cry in the back of church or you attend a wedding. I'm not saying these things are bad to want to be married, to want to have children, but we want to be careful that we don't buy into the belief that stuff, and I'm including people in stuff, will make things better if your relationship with Christ is rocky or non-existent in the first place. Because society changes, time changes, medicine and technology advance, but the problem of sin remains. Ecclesiastes 1.9 reminds us that there is nothing new under the sun. Yes, there was no internet to access that sin, but those sins are the same. Different forms, different ways, different standard of ethics, sure. But the same sins that have plagued man for thousands of years plague man today. And so unlike the temporary, rusting, and breakable toy from Santa, the gift of Jesus Christ is everlasting. And as you open those gifts a week from now, enjoy them. Thank the person who 
sacrifice to buy you those gifts, but believer, don't forget the everlasting gift. Don't forget that you will live and exist worshiping God in front of His throne one day where there will be no need for technology that is so quickly outdated. There will be no need for companionship in marriage because we will be full, we will be complete, we will be perfect, and it's all because a baby came to be born in a manger. Temporary happiness on the one hand, everlasting joy on the other. You want to see a real-world example of this? Get your children the gift they wanted and then buy the batteries in February. (laughs) Everlasting joy. You don't need to recharge You don't need to find the charging cable. You don't need to buy batteries. You don't need to update. Detail number four, Santa's annual visit. As the story goes, the day after Christmas, Santa and his elves are back at it. After all, they have hundreds of millions of toys to make. Jesus, on the other hand, came once, but not because he doesn't love us, because that was all that was needed. He came once, and he came once for all. Santa's visits are, in my mind, similar to the Old Testament sacrifices. They had to come over and over again, year after year, to make the children happy, to appease God for their sin. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 1 through 10. Speaking of the law and the Old Testament sacrifices, the writer of Hebrews says this, For the law, it's a capital L law, that's the Old Testament law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they, have, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. Stop there. In other words, they had to be offered year after year because if one offering was enough, one sacrifice was enough, and they were, their consciences were clear, the, the, the God was fully appeased, they wouldn't come again. We wouldn't know about it. It would have happened once, and that was it. If all that kid wanted was what you gave them that year and they never wanted anything else for Christmas despite growing older and having different desires and likes, Santa wouldn't exist. Or at least not to this degree. He'd come just for the new babies, the new kids who are now aware of his existence. But no, it has to come over and over again and again. It's the same thing with us. How long are you content before you're discontent looking for the next new thing? Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O God. Let's stop there. Do you see that? We understand this principle. God says, I commanded it. I wanted it. It was a reminder. I wanted to show you the bloodiness of it, the continuous repetitive of, repetitiveness of it. But it doesn't satisfy me just like that stuff doesn't satisfy us. The toy doesn't satisfy the kid. Maybe for a little bit, but that's not true satisfaction. It's like a meal. You just get hungry again later. You want something more. You know, on vacation, right? Calories don't count on vacations. You ever live by this philosophy? Right? And then you're like, finally, I'm having this greasy food. And then something triggers in your, in your brain and on your tongue, and you just want greasier and grosser. And then by the end of the vacation, you're like, I just want to throw up. I don't even want this, but I can because I'm on vacation and calories don't count, and you're eating all this junk. You just want more. You guys have seen this. You get a raise and you're so thankful and then you pay the bills and you, you do whatever you needed to do with it and you're like, hmm, what can I do to get just a little more? Just a little more. You've gotten a taste and you want more because it doesn't satisfy. It's just happiness, not joy, and there is a difference. Verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's done, it's finished. And now as believers, we find our joy and our satisfaction and our contentment in doing the will of God, not to earn our salvation, but because we are saved. This is the beauty of this whole thing that contradicts every other religion that says try harder because you might not have reached the point of salvation yet. We try harder because we're already saved and it drives us to glorify God, to honor Him, to worship Him. And if you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ here this morning, I get that you don't get that. I understand it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't. I've used this illustration before. It's like someone who's gone to Disneyland for the first time and tells his classmates, so you got you to go to this place. And he starts describing Disneyland it sounds horrible if you've never been there. It, it, it sounds psychotic. It sounds like some sort of torture to see people dressed up and grabbing you to take pictures, wanting to stand in line so that you can, oh, I went so fast that I threw up. How is that good? <laughs> but that kid who's been there, as soon as they're on the drive home, they say, when can we go back, Daddy? They want more because they've, they've tasted the goodness, and that's what the Christian life is. 
It's okay if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you don't get why we're here. It's okay that you assume that we're here because we feel like we have to. It's okay that you think that I somehow guilted everyone to being here this morning because you haven't been to Disneyland. You don't get it, and that's okay if you don't have a relationship with Christ. If you do and you feel that way, you need to go back to the baby born and fast forward to the cross. Because if you as a Christian feel uh, uh, an obligation in a worldly way to come to church, if you feel like you're forced to talk about Christ instead of Santa or other mundane things this time of year, you need to go back to the cross, you need to go back to the manger and remember the reality of who you are. Your sin has been paid for forever. And the blessings and eternal reward of that you are very well aware of. I want to close off with the fifth detail in Santa's story, which is not really a detail per se of that particular story, but really overarching everything, and that is Santa's progeny. Santa's progeny, no, not his children, you. You take over. When the kids are too old for Santa, and even when they are young enough to believe in Santa, you still buy them gifts, right? There's a glaring problem in all of those Christmas movies when the children wake up to gifts that all came from Santa. Really? Everything was from Santa? Grandma and Grandpa didn't buy you a gift? Your friends didn't buy you a gift? Your parents didn't buy you a gift? Surely, even if you have done Santa in your home, you want to put mom and dad on at least one gift so your kids know that you got them something. But when Santa is outgrown, we still give gifts every year. It still comes every year. This, too, is emblematic of the way of the world. I'm not saying don't give gifts. Give gifts, but just have the right perspective. You see, the world says, you choose your own way to happiness. Hey, we're trying to be tolerant. If your way is Jesus Christ, wonderful. Just don't push it on me because I'm going to pick my way. Oh, it's got to be hard. I feel for these people. It's got to be hard this time of year because they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ and yet His name is in the very holiday they are celebrating. They want to buy the gifts. They want to have family over. They want to have the tree. They want to have all these things and yet they know that it started with the birth of Jesus Christ whom they want to reject and turn away from. It's harder this time of year perhaps for those who are doing such things than any other time of year because you know what the season is ultimately about. But they dig in and they say, they look and perhaps they sit back at Christmas dinner and they say, I have everything I need. The bonus came just in time. The kids got everything on their list. My parents are here. My aunts and uncles are here. My kids are here. I don't need anything else. 
And they're absolutely right. They don't need anything else for worldly happiness. But kids grow up and they leave. Gifts break. Parents pass away. You say, listen, pastor, it's Christmas service. Don't talk about death. It's bad enough. My spouse made me come today. My kids forced me to come to church. Now you're really ruining Christmas for me by talking about death, like you did last year when I came. (laughs) You can't talk about the birth of the baby without understanding that he came not to make us happy with goo-goo-ga-gas, but to die, to die. And the pinnacle of that birth, the beauty of the birth for the Christian is not because of innocence. It's not because he was a cute baby. We don't even know that. It's because he became a human being. Why? Because as God, very God, he could not die. In a few months, we come to Easter. We celebrate the Good Friday, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's where the once for all comes in. No one else has to come. Santa doesn't have to come again. Parents don't need to take over. He came. That's it. It's perfect. It's paid for. He didn't have to send angels. Oh, messed up. Forgot about that people group. Angel, your turn. Gabriel, become a human. You die on the cross this time. Let me come again. Let me go through all of that again. Christmas number two. Can I be born in a Hilton this year at least? Stanford Hospital, please. No. It's done. It's paid for. He will never come again for that reason. The Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is the only way. There's no tag team. There's no taking over. There's no parents taking over for Santa and then the cousins taking over for the parents and then the co-workers and all that. There's no different ways to happiness. There's only one way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In no uncertain terms, Jesus tells us he is the only way. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is not Muhammad, it is not Buddha, it is not enlightenment, it is not Mary, it is Jesus Christ. As secular as it has become, Show me, tell me another birth that has changed the world. That has changed the economics of the United States of America every December. That has created not just some out-of-the-way farmer, but an industry of trees and poinsettias and cards to the point that as liberal as they want to be, as much as they want to to compromise with society, Walmart and Target will post giant signs that say, Joy to the world. 
happy holidays, but they cannot get away without putting Merry Christmas as well. Jesus Christ, he's the way. They don't recognize it. They don't get it. They don't see it. They may not celebrate him. But the way Christmas Day has changed the world in so many respects, socially, culturally, getting kids to behave, even if it's with a a false story, economically, it's because of a bigger reality of payment for sin and eternal life. There is salvation in no one else. So what does this mean? Well, looking around the room, we're all adults and babies. Even outside of this sermon, I would encourage you, if you still believe in Santa, to please stop. By the way, this is a total side note, and, and I, I, I shouldn't find this as humorous as I do. I showed a few of you this. Um, have you guys been uh, to Hillsdale Mall and seen the Santa? You know, they have the big display, and kids sit on the lap and take pictures. Have you seen it? Poor guy is in a COVID box. He, he's in a plexiglass box, and the kids sit on a bench in front of the, the thing. It's... I'll just say it. It's hilarious. You should go see it. Um, I understand why they're doing it, but, I mean, you want extra cheer this season, go look at that. So, back to this. What does this mean for us as believers? I know you don't believe in Santa, but as I've been saying all morning, it's not about Santa. Uh, it's about the, 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 the worldliness. And, and listen, I... I'm not trying to uh, vilify Santa here and say he's the reason for all worldliness and selfishness, right? I'm not trying to vilify him. I'm not trying to not vilify him either. But it's so emblematic of the world that we live in, and we've talked about this so much over the years, it creeps into our thinking, doesn't it? That, that, that worldly craving, that, that worldly desire, that even sometimes Jesus, take it or leave it, just for this month, I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do my quiet times. And I'm not saying Christianity is wrapped up in going to church or doing your quiet times. But man, you never say, about, say that about that, that girl you fall in love with. Oh, I'm just tired. I'm not, you know, not going to go see her. You do everything you can. You change your schedule. You get someone to take your shift to go see him. We have an answer to prayer this week. Someone who has delayed their, their engagement and wedding for going on two years now, sold everything, said goodbye to everyone in just five, six days and came to America because of that love, that desire to be with that man. We do this with certain things, but we got to be careful that we, don't, we aren't so infiltrated in our thinking that we do this with God. How's your worship? How's your gospel appreciation? How's your demeanor as you drive by that nativity scene or 
think about the baby in the manger or listen to the choirs sing and play. This isn't just some some knick-knack, some cheesy thing that we get to talk about because we happen to be churchgoers. This is, He is who we are. Yes, Jesus is the reason for the season, but don't stop there. Don't stop with the pleasantries and the cards and the Christmas tree and the Christmas service. Worship. Worship. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, I invite you to meditate on what I've said. Romans 10, 9 through 11 gives us this very simple formula. I could easily say, well, get out your checkbooks. As so many people say, you want to go to heaven? Hope you brought your checkbook and that there's a lot in your bank account. But I'm not going to say that. I can roll out and just like we see in the movies, this big scroll, this big list of things you need to do. But I'm not going to say that either because there is no list. It's a couple simple verses. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and there's no more. The next phrase is you will be saved. Saved from your sin and the consequences of it, which is eternal wrath. Paul goes on and says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And this wonderful promise as he quotes the Old Testament prophecy, for the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed, and I promise you, you won't. What it's saying here in these verses is to understand what I've said, that you are created by God and that you are a sinner. And because of that, you deserve His punishment, His judgment. But if you turn to Him, if you truly believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, because your mouth reflects what's in your heart, That Jesus, God, very God, 100% man, 100% God, came to earth Christmas to be born, lived the sinless life that God expects of you, and to pay the penalty that you deserve on the cross, you're familiar with it, to prove that He conquered sin and was victorious over death, was raised by God the Father on the third day, and is now in His rightful place, seated on His throne in heaven. This is the reason for the season. This is the reason we are here. Look, I know I joked about it, and I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. I truly am. But you are asked here by your spouse because they love you. You're asked here by your children because they care about you. They don't want you going through life, and especially this time of year, just saying, oh, yeah, I get it. You're a Christian. You see this differently. I'll tell you this. A relationship with God and eternal life, it may seem strange to you, but there are about 80 people in here and millions around the world that would wholeheartedly agree with me that our faith, our relationship with Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and our understanding of where we will be for eternity is far greater 
than even $450 billion worth of presents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You had this ingenious plan of salvation that You would send the baby Jesus Christ, God, very God, to come to be born and to die for our sins. Help us as believers to understand and appreciate all that You have done for us. Guard us against buying into the pressures of the world and being conformed to it and constantly being discontent, being unhappy and wanting more. When we seek that in, the, in a godly way and you provide it, may we be thankful in light of the gospel. For those who don't know you, Lord, we're so thankful that they are here. We pray that you would help them to understand and that they, you would have grace and mercy so that they would turn to you. They would not turn to their own efforts. They would not turn to the false religions that ultimately turn to their own efforts but that they would turn to you in true repentance. Thank you for bringing them here. Thank you for bringing us all here, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we close. We invite you to sing all four verses with us.